And today we're going to talk about the essential uh, of prophecy. And so kind of like the fundamentals, uh, things that I think we need to know uh, as a church regarding prophecy, regarding the future. And we begin, first of all, with the return of Jesus Christ. And so you're going to look at different denominations, different churches, and they're going to have different views on um, you know, when the rapture happens, when you know, certain things take place. But one thing is for sure, all across the board, and that is uh, every Christian church believes in the return of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when we look at what's going on in the world today, uh, again, no man knows the day or the hour, but it definitely seems like the season. We see the signs, and um, we definitely have to be ready. You know, the rapture of the church is when Jesus Christ comes, and it's part of his return. So, you know, when you talk about the return, some think it's just when he comes and he, you know, sets up his kingdom on planet Earth. No, it actually begins when he raptures the church. So he comes down kind of like halfway. We, he raptures us up, and then all hell breaks loose on Earth. Uh, like Randy was talking about, God is going to judge the world because of his righteousness and his holiness. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we, you know, are ready ourselves. Like if the Lord were to come today, man, do you have any, are, are you really ready? You know, um, some churches, and I'm just going to tell you guys this, they, they believe that God is going to rapture up every single saint, every Christian. If you're saved, doesn't matter, you're going to get raptured. And there are, you know, many pastors who believe that, there are some solid pastors, however, who see things a little differently. And they believe that if you're walking in the flesh, like if you're a carnal Christian, the Bible describes them in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, you, you're, you're walking in the flesh, you might get left behind. And so again, I can't be dogmatic about it. I, I, I tend to lean more towards like if you're the church, then you're going up because you're his bride. But man, when I look at some of these solid Bible teachers who teach that, listen, if you're walking in the flesh, you're going to get left behind. You know, to me, it just makes me not want to take any chances. You know, God is going to rapture his bride. And let's talk a little bit about this because you might not even know what that is. Look what we read here in 1 Thessalonians 4 in verse 13. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or, or who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And so it might seem weird to us, but basically the Thessalonians were concerned that they had you know, some brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ who had died. Jesus had not yet you know, come and so they were concerned, like, well, what about those who have died in Christ? They're going to stay in the ground. It's almost like they're going to miss, you know, this whole event. And, and Paul is writing, no, you don't have to worry about You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to grieve for them. For this we say in verse 15 to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, check it out, we who are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, it'd be like if your loved one died before you and you're worried about them. Well, they're not going to get to be with the Lord, you know, because again, this is just, this is a brand new church. They didn't know a whole lot. And, um, you know, they had heard about the rapture. They had heard that God was, you know, going to bring people up who were alive. But what about those who had died? And so Paul writes to comfort them. And this is basically the way it is. When the Lord raptures the church, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And so you're like thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't they already in heaven? Not their bodies. Their bodies, that the, the glorified body uh, is not there. They are in the presence of God, but they're going to receive their everlasting, eternal, glorified body at the rapture. And so, you know, you know, whoever you are, you know, your your Mike and your your Randy and your Henry, whoever it might be, that's you and your DNA, your your body will be. First uh, Corinthians 15 talks about you're going to have a celestial body. And so God's going to rapture up that body. And then the people who are alive then will follow. And so we're actually going to get caught up. And I know it sounds, you know, you're like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. I remember one time my wife was having a dream. It was, uh, I don't know, in the middle of the night. And she's like, ah, you know, like one of those dreams, she's half asleep, half asleep. And so I woke her up. I said, hey, babe, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I was just getting raptured right now <laughs> in my dream. And I was like, man, I wish I would have a dream like that, you know. But that's what's going to happen. We who are alive, it says right there, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so that can happen at any moment. Now, in the Greek language, the words caught up is the, is the word harpazo. And that's a Greek word. Now, the Latin translation, the Vulgate, is the word rapturos. And that's where we get our word rapture from. And, and it's interesting because when you read the Bible, there's a few instances of this actually happening. Watch, if you go to Acts chapter 8... And notice what we read here in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, as Philip is speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he leads him to the Lord, and he baptizes him, and his work is done, so to speak. And so we read in verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azodas. And so there's an example of uh, this guy. He's there, he's with the eunuch, and then boom, he just disappears. Next thing you know, he's over there in a different town. You know, we see something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to go there. And you guys might remember this story when Paul, the apostle, was caught up as well. Now, same Greek word is used in Acts 8. That's used in 1 Thessalonians 4. And here in Acts uh, chapter 8, um, I'm, I'm sorry, 1, 2 Corinthians 12, he says in verse 1, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, 
God knows, and such a one, same Greek word, harpazo, was caught up to the third heavens. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And so Paul the Apostle was actually caught up to heaven, same Greek word, and um you know, this is a precedent for us, you know, whether it be Philip or Paul. Um, one day, maybe it's going to be us. If I had to guess, I would say, yeah, it's probably going to be us in our generation where God raptures up the church. He, he catches them up. Now, Paul here mentions the third heaven. And so in the Bible, the first heavens are the sky, the skies, the clouds. That's the first heavens. And then the birds are there in the heavens. And then the second heavens are the, is a space, the galaxy, the planets, our universe in that sense. That's the second heavens. And then the third heaven will be where God dwells. And that is where Paul was caught up. And so we have precedence for this, and not just in the New Testament, but probably one of the, 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 the poster child for the rapture is over in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. In Genesis chapter 5, we read about this guy, Enoch. And notice what we read here in Genesis 5, in verse uh, 21. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, and after he begot Methuselah, here it is, Enoch walked with God. He walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and notice, and he was not for God took him. And this is an Old Testament example of the rapture. Enoch really is the, the the typology in the Old Testament of God just bringing someone up. And, you know, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him up. For he, before he was taken up, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And so, you know what, we're talking about prophecy tonight. We're talking about, you know, the signs of the times and stuff, you know, what's going to happen in the future. Now, I've been a Christian for, you know, 30-some years, and I've seen a lot of people really, really interested in prophecy. But a lot of times, when I, when I look at some people who are interested in prophecy, it's all like intellectual, it's all academic, it's all like they want to, you know, interpret the things that are going on in the world, and, you know, they're all caught up in it, they're all caught up in it, but they don't have love they're not really you can tell they're not really walking with god and, and the whole point of this is not so he can be you know a prophetic scholar of some sort no as a matter of fact um we're going to read later in second peter chapter three the whole point of it is that we would live a holy life because if the lord is coming and we know it ahead of time we want to make sure that we, number one, don't get left behind, but number two, that we're reaching out to people, that we're being faithful to the ministry that he's entrusted to us, whatever that might be. You know, when you read the scriptures, and we're going to see it 
you know, we don't have time to look at everything, but there's so much here that when the Lord comes, you want him to find you busy about his business. That's how you want him to find you. Watch, if you go to Luke 17, and I'll just share this with you real quick. Luke 17. Notice what we read in verse 34. Jesus is talking about the coming of of the kingdom. And he says in verse 34 of Luke 17, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in, in one bed or two people. Literally in the Greek language, it's not masculine. It's two people in one bed. It actually is just two in one bed. The one will be taken and the other left. So there's no, there's no man, it's a two in bed. That's all it says. The word men is in, as italicized. Two in bed, one is taken, the other's left. And a lot of times you've got a husband and a wife and one's saved and one's not saved. Or one's walking with the Lord and one's not walking with the Lord. And the Lord says right here, one's going to be taken, the other's going to be left behind. It says right here, two women or two will be grinding together the one taken the other left that's when you're there and you're working and one's taken and the other's left two will be in the field the one will be taken and the other left and so i I share that with you guys you know not that we have to be perfect none of us will ever be perfect but you got to be you know um sincere you have to be genuine you have to uh, be honest you know with the lord and with yourself and you know in the righteousness of christ you want to Make sure that you're ready for the rapture because that is probably the next event on the church calendar. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks a little bit about this. And notice what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 50. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So we can't just go to heaven with these bodies, right? But he says in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And what that means is we shall not all die. Not everyone's going to die, but we shall all be changed. Speaking to Christians, in a moment, In the twinkling of an eye. What that is, is the blink of an eye. One eleventh of a second. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so just like we saw with Enoch, uh, he was taken, he was not found because he walked with God. And Hebrews 11.5 says he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's going to happen to a, an entire generation of Christians. And it can happen at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so um, that would be cool, huh? Wouldn't it be cool if it happened before the service ended tonight? Now, the reason why the Lord's putting a delay is because there's still some people who need to get saved. And so, anyways, that's the next event on the church calendar. Then, uh, letter B uh, is the evasion of Israel led by a, a Russian, uh, Iranian, Arab coalition. And we read that in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. And um, 
I want you guys to turn there real quick. We'll read a couple of verses out of this passage. Ezekiel 38. Now, I know some of you are aware of this, you know, but some of you guys, maybe you're not. Did you know that God predicted in the last days Israel would become a nation again? In Ezekiel 36 and 37, he said in the last days he would gather Israel from all over the world. Now, you know, when you look at history, you find that Israel was dispersed uh, in, in 70 AD. The Romans came and they wiped out 1.2 million Jews. And from 70 AD all the way to 1948, there was no nation of Israel. Now, the Jews were all over the world, but there was no nation of Israel. So think about that. Close to, you know, 1900 years, there was no Israel. But in, you know, when in, in 1948, they, they regained their national land and identity. In 1967, they regained control of Jerusalem. I mean, that right there is just an incredible prophecy. And you read about it in Ezekiel 36 and 37. It's exactly that. It says, in the last days, they will come back to the land. And not only that, it predicted the fact that they would be prosperous and they would be fruitful. And there was a time when Israel was the fourth largest distributor of fruit in the world. And this is a nation the size of New Jersey. And so what God is definitely showing us is, you know, this is, you know, fulfilled prophecy, Ezekiel 36 and 37. But then when you get to Ezekiel 38, this hasn't happened yet. So it's, it's, we don't know which one happens first, the rapture or the invasion. But look what it says in verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, Persia is modern-day Iran, and Libya, are with them, and all of them with shields and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north, and all its troops. Many people are with you. And God says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to lead you, and you're going to invade Israel. We're talking about Turkey here. We're talking about Iran here. We're talking about Russia here. And so, um, you know, that's right around the corner as well. Now, again, we don't know which one happens first, whether it be that invasion or the rapture, but we know that God will defeat this army. And, and I don't know, you know, you see what's going on in, in Russia today. You see what's going on there. And it definitely, it, it trips me out. You know, it trips me out like, Lord, um, this, is, this is like me reading the Bible. Again, like I said, no one knows the day or the hour, but you're reading the newspaper, you're reading the Bible, and they're like side by side. And so for us, what does it do? It just stirs us up. You know, the, the shifting geopolitical winds, once again, they raise the scepter, Magog's invasion of Israel. And Ezekiel describes this ill-fated band of brothers as coming from the land of Magog, the southern steppes of Russia, former Soviet bloc countries, and Turkey, Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and all these are laid out in front of us. Now, 
it's interesting. You guys can do your own research on this, but Iran and Russia have never had the alliance that they have today. You know, recently, you maybe you heard uh, stories about you know the Russians uh, flying Iranian-made drones into um, you know some of these structures there in Ukraine. I mean, God is—it's almost like God is saying, you know, can you see the signs? Like, are you ready, uh, Manny? Are you walking in holiness? Are you praying the way you should? Are you reaching out to people? you know, um, that you should be reaching out to? Are you being faithful in the ministry? Because, um, you know, the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, so the Lord tells us these things, not just so we can know them. Oh, yeah, I know prophecy. No, he tells us these things so that we can be living a certain life that is completely sanctified and set apart uh, to him. And so we have the rapture. We have the Russian invasion with all these nations. And it's interesting later, you don't have, we don't have time to read it, but it, you, know, you might wonder, well, why isn't the United States of America defending Israel when all this happens? And there is a, a little young lion that's mentioned there in Ezekiel 38, but they're just talk. They're like, hey, why are you guys doing that? Uh, but they're not doing anything about it. And a lot of people wonder why. Well, maybe it's because America is now, you know, not, not the same. We're not as pro-Israel as we used to be. And, and not only that, maybe we're weak. You know, so again, things to think about, you know, but I can definitely see that happening today. So you got the rapture, you got the invasion. And then letter C is you have the seven-year tribulation. And so for that, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And the, the, the reason why it's kind of cool to know what happens during the tribulation period is because a lot of the signs that you see today are signs that, of things that will happen during the tribulation period. Now, we're not going to be here because we're going to get raptured out. If you're a Christian, you won't be here uh, when that happens. But it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, let's just say you're, you're going, you know, to the mall and you see all these uh, Christmas decorations and you're like, hey, you know, Christmas is coming, but you know that Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. It's kind of like that. Well, we're looking at all these signs. Um, the European Union rising in power, that's a sign. You know, the, 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 the fact that we are in a world now where you're pretty much a cashless society, that's a sign. You get a, a, an injection, you get a mark, that's a sign. You know, even the fact that we have a, a Jewish leader in Ukraine, that's a sign. Because one day when the Antichrist comes, he will be a Jewish leader in the European community. And the Jews will accept him as their leader. When you go to Israel, it's kind of interesting. There's so many things that you'll see. You'll see the way that God has blessed Israel and the contrast between Arab and Israeli uh, um, property. And not only that, what you'll see is as you go there, and it's amazing how things happen, man, God shows you a lot of different things, and you see it with your own eyes. Here we see the seven-year tribulation period Mentioned in Daniel 9, and this is probably one of the most important prophecies in the Bible. Daniel 9, in verse 24, it says, uh, 70 weeks are determined 
for your people. Now remember, the angel is speaking to Daniel, so he's saying 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city, he tells Daniel, uh, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So 70 weeks, basically, until Jesus Christ is there and, and he reigns. And so know, therefore, and understand. He wants them to understand this, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And so uh, March 14th, 445 BC, they issued the command to go and restore and rebuild the walls, to rebuild Jerusalem. And then he says, from that day until the Messiah, the Prince, there's 62 weeks and seven weeks. And so that's 69 weeks, 69 seven-year periods. And so you go from March 14th to 445 BC, and you, you go forward uh, 69 seven years, 173,880 days, and it takes you to um, um, April 6th, 32 AD, and it says right here, the Messiah, the Prince, would come. And after the 62 weeks, that very day, it says, Messiah shall be cut off. He shall die, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come, now the Prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist. So the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. So who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? It was the Romans. And so the Antichrist will rise out of the revived Roman Empire, the European community now. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined, right? But then it says in verse 27, as this Antichrist rises, he shall confirm a covenant with many for how long? One week. One week. And there is the last seven-year period, the tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. And, and when you go to Israel and you go up on the Temple Mount, which this year we're going to be able to do, you'll be able to see right there, right next to the Dome of the Rock, you're going to see is where they're planning on rebuilding the Temple. The Antichrist will make it happen. And so this is the one who's there. And the first three and a half years are going to look great. But then in the middle, or it says right there, there's going to be this abomination of desolation where the Antichrist goes into the temple, which again, if you go to Israel today, you're going to see there, man, they're pushing to rebuild that temple. It's going to happen, but we won't be here. And so the, the tribulation period, it says in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And Revelation 2, verse 22, it says, indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And so when you read the, the, the churches there in the book of Revelation, it's interesting to see how some of those churches were threatened by the Lord, including the Catholic Church, saying you're going to go through that tribulation period unless you repent. And so the tribulation period is seven-year period, 
Antichrist comes on. First it's peaceful. You read in Revelation chapter 6. But then it gets crazy and it gets chaotic. I thought it was interesting how recently um, uh, we, uh, we sent a satellite out to see if it could um, you know, deter like an, an asteroid from hitting planet Earth. You know? And so we're trying to you know, do our Star Wars thing. But but in that day, when all these meteors, when all these hailstones that are 75 pounds, when all these earthquakes happen, and we're just talking about craziness, um, then there's no nothing that man can make to be able to defend himself. And so during that tribulation period, two things. Number one, God is going to deal with the Jews. And so we read there in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, that it is something that is part of their plan. And so during that seven-year period, God will deal with the Jews, and many of them will be saved. But then secondly, during the tribulation period, God will judge the world. God will judge the world. And so you look at our world today, and, you know, the crazy things that we're doing, you know, the crazy horrible things that are taking place. And you, a lot of people wonder, why doesn't God do anything about it? Well, he will. He will one day. And so when you read the Bible, every single nation is judged. The only exception is Israel, because God will. I mean, and they've gone through their discipline, but not being destroyed. And so God is going to deal with this world that we live in. And so these are the things ahead of us. Um, the rapture, the Russian invasion, the seven-year tribulation period. We don't have to look for the Antichrist. A lot of times people are saying, well, maybe he's the Antichrist or that person. We don't really have to be caught up in that. I mean, I guess you can if you want to, but for me, I'm looking for who? I'm looking for Jesus Christ. That's the one that we want to be looking for. So, you know, when all this happens, what else is in the future? Well, a couple more things to talk about. Number one is the Bema Seat Judgment. And so for that, if you would uh, turn to, um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So one day, um, I'm going to be there you're going to be there at the Bema Seat Judgment. And so you can't say, well, Manny never told us about it, you know, because I have, you know, many times, and tonight is one of those examples as well, Romans 14.10 says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then over in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so one day we'll be there at that, that Bema seat judgment. But let's find out a little bit about what it is, because look what it says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. Now, Paul is talking about the church, and you know he planted, another person came and, and watered, and so he then changes to uh, an agri- uh, architectural illustration and how he laid the foundation and other people are building on it. And that's what we're doing in one sense. We're building on the church. As we're working, as we're serving, as we're living, as we're praying, we're kind of building in, in one sense. But this is what he says in verse 12. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, he says each one's work will become clear for the day. And in my Bible, the word day is capital. That day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And and basically what that means is, you know, like your works, like even me doing this Bible study tonight, like many, why are you doing this? Or whatever your service is, like why are you here? Why are you doing this? Is it because you want glory is it because you want a position is it because you're looking for something i mean is is, and sometimes the motives are not right and god sees all that and he may use a guy and he may be an evangelist a pastor a preacher it doesn't matter because god can speak through a donkey it doesn't matter but if that individual is not doing it for the right reason then when their works go into the fire it's wood it's hay it's stubble it'll burn and there, there's no reward for that. But if it was for the right reason, I love you, Lord. I'm trying to, I love these people, God. I, I need you, Lord. And you're serving with that heart. You're serving with that love. Then when your work goes into the fire, it doesn't matter how big it is. What matters is how pure it is. And it's like gold. It's like silver. You know, it, it, the fire, will, it won't destroy it. And it'll survive that fire, and God says, and that will be your reward. One day we'll be there. This judgment is not for our sins, you know. We won't have to worry about that because Jesus already paid the price for our sins. This is for our service. And so if you look at the next chapter, it says in verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. You know, Paul was a servant. Paul was a teacher. He says, and moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found what? Faithful. Faithful. I mean, in your ministry, can you be described as faithful? You're there when you're supposed to be. You're there prepared. Whatever it is, that's the requirement. Not famous. Faithful. Moreover, it's required that one be found faithful. He said, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And so basically he says, you guys talk smack about me, you judge me, that's not really a big deal. Even me thinking about myself, I'm not really 100% sure, because I, you know, everybody kind of gives themselves a little bit extra grace, right? He says, uh, he says, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is who? Is the Lord. You know, you might say something, I might say something, as far as I know, I search my heart, as far as I know, I'm, I'm doing this for the right reason, but that does, that's not the final verdict. The one who will give us the final verdict is the Lord. And it says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. 
The word counsels right there, reveal the counsels, is it will reveal the motives. Manny, were you a pastor because you get paid for it? Were you a pastor? You know, I know you love to teach, but do you love the people you teach? That's what matters. And one day, you guys, when we stand before the Lord, that beam of sea, I tell you what, that's when everything happens. That's when everything is revealed. Not now, then. And that's why in Luke 19, verse 17, it says, Jesus said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you are faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. When God judges and he sees someone who's faithful, guess how they get rewarded? In the millennial kingdom and probably even in heaven, they'll have more work. And so they're faithful with work here. And then so God says, okay, I can trust you with more. That'll be your reward. In Second John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. And that would be my prayer. That would be my prayer for you. That one day when you stand before the Lord, you know, and I don't know, I have a feeling that we're all going to be kind of watching, hey, you know, there's Beverly, hey, there's David or whatever, you know, and you're watching and, you know, you get this amazing reward because remember, it doesn't matter if you're the senior pastor or assistant pastor. It doesn't matter if you're just an overseer, you know, whatever it might be, or, you know, you're just a prayer warrior and you never get up on the platform. Believe you me, there are going to be many people rewarded greatly in heaven who were never even known by anybody. Because whatever the ministry was that God gave to them, they were faithful in that. And so I encourage you, be, be blessed by that, and one day you're going to be rewarded. And my prayer is that you get a full reward. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so these are the things that are in front of us. You guys know this, right? I mean, we have uh, the, the tribulation period. And then uh, we have the judgment seat of Christ. We have what's called Armageddon. And, and we don't have time to turn there. But in Revelation 16, 12 through 16, and Revelation 19, 11 through 21, a lot of people get confused on what exactly Armageddon is. You know, the world will use that phrase as just the end of the world. And, um, you know, basically what that is, Armageddon is, is at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ will come back. And I love what we read in Revelation 19. He's on this white horse and we're with him. Jude talks about that. We're with him following behind on the white horse. And he's got his, you know, robe dipped in blood and he's got a sword in his mouth and with it, as all the nations of the earth are gathered together against him, here comes Jesus and he smites the earth with the sword in his mouth. All he does is speak it. And then what he does is he defeats those nations. And then it's just so, I can't wait for this day, man. He is going to set up his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, for a thousand years. King Jesus will rule on planet earth. And so all those who have survived the tribulation period, they're still alive. There's going to be this, it's called the judgment of the nations, and God will judge them. And those who are righteous, they will enter into the millennial kingdom. They're the sheep. But those who were not righteous, they're the goats, the Lord says, enter into everlasting destruction. There's the judgment of the nations right there. And then we begin this millennial kingdom. 
And so the interesting thing about it when you look at this is um, just what do you think the world will be like when Jesus rules? How many of you think thumbs up? <laughs> thumbs up, huh? I mean, big time. I mean, it's going to be really cool, not only because of the fact that we're going to have him, you know, leading us politically and in his majestic monarchy, but there's also going to be like this aspect where the entire earth is going to be kind of like, um, uh, not completely perfect, but there's going to be this time where the Bible talks about, you know, um, Wolves will lie in peace with lambs, um, leopards and, and baby goats and lions and calves and bears and cows. They're all going to be peaceful together. Snakes won't be dangerous. Um, babies will be able to play uh, with them. Uh, there'll be no bloodshed in nature. The whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And we're going to rule and reign with him during that time. And it's just going to be this awesome time you read about it, especially in the book of Isaiah chapter 35, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read that. But a thousand years, a thousand years of Jesus Christ ruling on planet Earth. But the thing about it is even during that time, the, Lord, the Bible says the, the Lord's going to rule with a rod of iron. And so if anyone gets out of line, boom, he's going to deal with them immediately. But does that mean that everybody's saved? No. And during that time, Satan's going to be in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He's locked up in the abyss. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. But after that thousand years, he's released once again to test the people. Do they really love me? And sure enough, they had enough of his rule. And there's a final rebellion against uh, Jesus. They come against him. And that's when the Father comes. The Father intervenes and wipes him out. And then we're going to see the new heaven and the new earth. And so it's just good to know, like, what's ahead. You know, during the thousand years, uh, we'll get to rule and reign with Christ. And it's going to be amazing. After that thousand years, uh, we have, you know, the devil is judged. Uh, he's thrown into the lake of fire. And we have two places, and we'll close with this, uh, heaven and hell. And we'll use hell because hell is just like the county jail. Hell is just a holding tank, and that's going to be when people are there, eventually they're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And so the word heaven is found 661 times in the Bible, and what this is in reference to is God's dwelling place. And that's our home. You know, I don't know if you guys look forward to heaven I know I do uh, for many reasons. Uh, being able to be reconciled with my loved ones who have died in Christ uh, before me. As I get older, more and more people are there. And I'm like, man, I miss them. I can't wait to see them. But of course, you know, um, primarily it's just I can't wait to see Jesus. I mean, my heart is drawn to heaven. You know, I, I, I'm a fish out of water. Some people, they don't want to go to heaven. And they're like, no, I like, I like my life, and I want to enjoy it, and I want to eat, and I want to have fun, and I want to travel, and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to, you know, and they're so stuck to this earth, and it shouldn't be that way. We should have a desire to go home and be with the Lord. Now, of course, we know you've got to finish your race, and I'm not talking about, you know, anything morbid or anything like that. I'm talking about a healthy desire you you check your heart because jesus said where your treasure is there your heart will be also 
And so heaven, man, is this beautiful. You read about it, and we'll close over here in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21. Remember Paul the Apostle, he said, you know, I, I would rather go to heaven, to be honest. I'd rather go, I'd rather die, and that way I can go to heaven and depart. But he said, it's necessary for me to stay with you. But, but notice what we read in Revelation 21. It says in verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the bride of Christ. This is the church. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who has sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He overcomes, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. You know, again, anybody can be up here talking right now. So I'm here and I'm I'm blessed to be here. But my prayer is that if you were up here talking right now, you would say something like this. Listen, if I die, I don't want you guys sad. I don't want you guys all bummed out. Absolutely not. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because this is my home. Heaven is my home. Not earth. And so, you know, you hear a story. Recently, I heard a story about these missionaries and just faithful missionaries for decades. And I guess they were driving and then you know, their car, uh, I guess they, they veered off the cliff and, uh, and they plunged to their death. And you hear someone say, oh, what a tragedy, what a tragedy, what a tragedy. That, those missionaries who were faithful for decades in a third world country where no one else was willing to go, those missionaries, they, they soared into glory. Because this is this heaven is our home, not here. So again, don't get me wrong, finish your race. But for us, when God calls us home, man, it's it's victory. There there's this place called heaven forever and ever and ever, and one day we'll be there together. I can't wait. You know, sometimes even on planet Earth, you know, we don't get a chance to talk to each other as much because we're so busy, everybody's so busy. But maybe I'll see you. Well, we're probably going to eventually hook up in heaven and say, hey, let's sit down and talk for a thousand years. How you doing, man? You know? <laughs> and well, it'll be so beautiful. I can't, I can't wait. I look forward to it. But there's another place, and it's called the Lake of Fire. I'm going to read about it here in Revelation 21 in, in verse uh, 8. But, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, and, and you read 
about what Jesus said in Matthew twenty five forty one that the everlasting fire that the people end up with is a place never intended for man, created for the devil and his angel. Second Thessalonians one nine says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But the Bible says in Second Peter three, and I, I gotta I gotta take you to one last verse. I'm sorry guys. We should get a little Pentecostal and go for two hours one of these days. <laughs> but um, real quick, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. He wants everyone to get saved but he won't force you right he wants everyone to to get saved that's god's heart but he says in verse 10 the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat now you know what that is that's nuclear that's nuclear the bible's talking about this both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up and so we know how the world will end, not with the flood, because the Lord said, I'll never do it again that way, but it'll be nuclear the last time. And so reading this, this is how we end, and this is where I, I pray it would just hit us, you guys. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, you guys see the end is near, you see what's coming, and so the way that it's supposed to impact us is, Lord, help me to, to be holy. You know, help me to tame my tongue. Help me to make sure that my thoughts are pure and my heart is right and I'm a good husband and dad and friend and the best that I can be and whatever it is, Lord, that you call me to be. Not just academic, not just prophecy buff, but a holy man. That's, that's, the, that's the way these things are, are supposed to impact us. So I really pray, you know, again, none of us are perfect, but man, Lord, give us, give us your heart, please. So Lord, I, I thank you for your word and lord we we get to see ahead of what's happening this place called heaven